Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. This episode is brought to you by my course, Rest Assured. If you've been struggling with falling asleep, or staying asleep, or just not waking up feeling well-rested, you've come to the right place. Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Insomnia, or CBTI, is the gold standard intervention in the management of insomnia. Rest Assured is a digital course that walks you through CBTI, step-by-step, with everything you need to succeed. Each of the six weekly modules guides you through some important background information for the different techniques, explores the evidence-based techniques in detail, provides multiple examples of exercises so you can find the one that works for you, and reviews the work you've completed since the last module. And rest assured, it's just not another DIY left to your own devices, but rather, you get direct access to me, a board-certified sleep physician in twice-monthly office hours, where you can ask me face-to-face any questions you may have about the course material. So check out www.wellrestedmd.com slash RA to learn more. That's wellrestedmd.com slash RA. Or just head to the homepage and click on courses to learn more. Enjoy the episode. Hey friends and neighbors, you're listening to the Well Rested Podcast, episode number 40, Mother's Day. I'm your host, Dr. Joshua Lennon. This weekend, we celebrate with 1 365th, those who bear the weight of keeping humanity alive the other 364 days of the year. That's right, this weekend is Mother's Day, and we'll mark the occasion by reviewing some of the sleep challenges faced by the better half of humanity. Perhaps I'm a bit biased, but with having a mother, stepmother, and mother-in-law, hi Mary Lou, Marie, Michelle, happy Mother's Day. Yes, all three of my moms have names that begin with M, as in M for Mother's Day. I have a wife. Happy Mother's Day, dear. Two daughters and no sons, hashtag girl dad, an older sister and two nieces with no nephews, and over 90% of the staff, administration, and providers at my clinic are also women. I live, like that Adam Brody movie, in the land of women. So today we'll review some special considerations, not just for women, but specifically for mothers. There are some sleep challenges that only mothers will face in and around pregnancy and newborn care. Before we dive into that, There was a study published just last week regarding risk to women and sleep disruption. We discussed this all the way back in episodes 1 and 2 about sleep quality, and again in episode 38 about how we measure it. Specifically for sleep studies involving scalp electrodes to measure EEG, your brainwave activity, we can not only determine the mix and proportion of different sleep stages, but also evaluate for something called arousals or microarousals. These are brief episodes, typically lasting 3-5 to seconds, and no longer than about 15 seconds. But these brief interruptions interfere with the continuity of sleep, breaking up what otherwise should be consolidated sleep. Now, we expect to see these arousals. In fact, a totally normal, no problem, great sleeper will experience one of these brief arousals about every 6 to 12 minutes or so. It's not bad that they occur at all, but when they occur with greater and greater frequency, that's when you can wake up feeling like you achieved terrible quality sleep. Because it's like somebody's shaking you to try to get you to wake up every minute or two, but without actually fully waking up, like eyes open, looking around the room kind of awake. But these episodes of micro-wakefulness add up and can really drain your sleep of that restorative potency. And with a sleep study, particularly with the polysomnogram or PSG kind, we are usually able to identify what the trigger for that arousal was, what caused the person to experience one of these arousals that extracted them out of sleep briefly. And while issues like underlying pain, temperature outside the comfort zone, ambient noises, while these can certainly account for some of the arousals, what we see accounting for the overwhelming majority of them are fluctuations in breathing quality, what are called respiratory event-related arousals, or events called hypopneas and apneas, 
where slight, moderate, or even complete physical obstruction of the airway prevents normal breathing, and the brain is woken up as a last-ditch effort to prevent asphyxiation, because once the brain wakes, even briefly, the brain sends signals to increase muscle tension in the airway back to wakeful levels, where everything is nice and wide open once again. So the proximal cause of the arousal, initiated by the breathing change, is the fight-or-flight system, the sympathetic arousal system. The brain is subjected to a literal shot of adrenaline, courtesy of the adrenal glands, in response to these breathing changes. And while experiencing that heart racing, sweating, arousal, and the literal heat of the moment, such as when somebody cuts you off in traffic and you narrowly avoid a collision, that will get your blood pumping. We can tell when we've been stimulated during wake from this stress system. But during sleep, the body experiences the same chemical stress response, though not once, such as after a near-miss car accident, but instead hundreds of times across the night. That's a lot of stress. A lot of unconscious stress, but stress nonetheless. And there are consequences to experiencing that kind of stress repeatedly. The stress that is literally there to save your life. Because if you don't breathe, you're going to die. So this system kicks in to rescue you from ineffective breathing. But that rescue comes at a cost. So this study published last week looked at what happens when you experience that kind of stress response causing arousals, these micro-interruptions of your sleep. They tracked about 8,000 men and women for a period of 6 to 11 years each. And when individuals experienced these micro-arousals out of the range of normal, and experienced them not just once, but found repeatedly over the study period of 6 to 11 years, there was significant risk to life and limb. Specifically, they found that men who experienced excessive micro-arousals from sleep were about 25% more likely to die early from heart disease compared to men without these frequent interruptions. However, women who experienced frequent arousals from sleep were not only more likely to die prematurely from all causes than those with better consolidation of sleep, but had nearly double the risk of dying prematurely from heart disease. Anyone with poor quality sleep caused by these interruptions has a higher risk for premature death compared to those without the interruption. But women, for reasons that are not clear yet, have literally twice the excess risk for heart disease-related death, as men do. That's rough. Editorials accompanying the study point out the importance of taking unrefreshing sleep seriously. And themes that have come up repeatedly in this podcast, like engaging in stress reduction activities, whether yoga, exercise, progressive muscle relaxation, breathing exercise, these will help balance the parasympathetic with the sympathetic nervous system. Keeping the bedroom cool, dark, and quiet to eliminate environmental triggers for arousals, all these will help. But the largest contributor to arousals remains sleep disordered breathing, which needs to be taken seriously, more seriously by women than men, given the disproportionate degree of risk. Now, the study involved primarily middle-aged and older adults, and one of the beauties of getting older is that more stuff breaks down in the human body, including an increasing likelihood of experiencing a sleep disorder. But just because the risk for younger individuals is lower than older adults doesn't mean that young people, and young women in particular, are out of the woods. Recall from episode 28 how much of an impact sleep can have on the ability to become a mother in the first place. Women who achieved adequate total sleep duration experienced greater sexual desire and were more likely to be sexually active following a night of adequate sleep duration compared to women who weren't catching enough Zs. Women with sleep-disordered breathing were more likely to experience female sexual dysfunction, lowered sexual drive, more depression and anxiety, and worse body image compared to age and BMI-matched women without sleep-disordered breathing. Fertility is significantly impacted by sleep and circadian health. Women with circadian dysregulation had significant alterations in key hormones, including follicular-stimulating hormone, prolactin, and luteinizing hormone. Hormones that need to be in balance to achieve conception. A large study of women in both the U.S. and China found that achieving only six hours of sleep was associated with a 26% lower odds of conception compared to women achieving seven hours of sleep. 
women with social jet lag or working atypical shifts are more likely to experience infertility and even early pregnancy difficulties. Women in an in vitro fertilization clinic who experience implantation failure sleep close to an hour less per night on average compared to those with successful IVF. And those who unfortunately suffer recurrent miscarriages also routinely achieve significantly less nightly sleep compared to those young women with completed pregnancies. And reviews of dozens of published studies show that short sleep duration, staying up late and waking later, a delayed circadian rhythm, as discussed in episode 22, irregular circadian rhythms, including social jet lag, as discussed in episode 23, that these sleep and circadian challenges significantly increase the odds that young women trying to become mothers will be unable to do so. A study published late last year looked at rates of restless leg syndrome in thousands of young women during and around pregnancy. Recall from episode 34 that restless legs, or RLS, also known as Willis-Eckbaum disease, is characterized by this irritating compulsion to move the legs that strikes in the evening and night, which can interfere with the ability to get to sleep in the first place. And RLS appears to be due, primarily, to regional brain iron deficiency. And one of the joys of womanhood, at least for several decades, is a monthly blood loss. And with blood being one of the primary active stores of iron and hemoglobin in the blood cells, so women are far more likely to experience iron deficiency than men. Furthermore, dilution effects and, oh, creating a whole new blood supply for another living creature makes pregnancy an especially high-risk time for iron deficiency. That's why prenatal vitamins are particularly ripe with iron supplementation to prevent anemia during pregnancy. But recall from episode 34 that one can satisfy the blood's first dibs on iron to prevent anemia and yet still not have enough leftovers to prevent regions of iron deficiency in the brain. So in the study of thousands of women, the researchers found a rate of restless legs in 18.1% of pregnant women overall, with some differences across race, with about 15.5% of black women and about 21% of Asian women affected by RLS, with white women and non-white Hispanic women in between. Being over the age of 25 also increased the risk for RLS. And pregnant women with anemia were two and a half times more likely to suffer RLS. Thankfully, multiparity, or not being one's first pregnancy, was associated with a 31% lower likelihood of restless legs. A 2019 systematic review of multiple other studies put it this way, Some sleep disruption is common and expected given the hormonal and physical changes associated with pregnancy. Their bodies are changing, including an ever-shifting center of gravity. There's a newfound pressure on the bladder never before seen, triggering more frequent trips to the restroom, including in the middle of the night. Certain positions may no longer be comfortable in sleep, and others are recommended against latent pregnancy due to excess pressure and weight on certain vital tissue in mom. A 2020 study of just under 150 near-term women examined this issue of sleeping position. These soon-to-be moms spent about half the night on their backs. Nearly 80% of them did not meet criteria for sleep apnea, although breathing changes and oxygen changes were more frequent in the back position than all other sleeping positions. The main outcomes they were looking at were baby status at birth. And thankfully what they found is that no matter mom's sleeping position or how much of the night she spent on her back, there were no significant differences in baby's gestational age at birth, birth weight, or APGAR scores. But regardless of sleep position, reported snoring during pregnancy is associated with problems, including fetal growth restriction, insufficient maternal sleep, and preterm birth. Women diagnosed with sleep apnea during pregnancy are 50% more likely to experience preterm birth. But a 2018 study provides some good news. Women in their second and third trimesters were screened for sleep disorder breathing, and those who tested positive were randomized to either standard pregnancy care or standard care plus 
being started on treatment with continuous positive airway pressure, or CPAP, to correct the sleep-disordered breathing. They found that women started on CPAP at significantly lower rates of preterm delivery, significantly lower rates of unplanned cesarean section, and significantly lower rates of neonatal intensive care admissions for the new babies. Unfortunately, after delivery, all the women stopped using CPAP. Six months after delivery, 53% still had significant sleep apnea that had not resolved after giving birth, and they were three and a half times more likely to have developed pre-diabetes or diabetes compared to the new mothers without sleep-disordered breathing. A 2020 study of over 3,600 women in Europe followed for over 11 years evaluated mom's sleep duration during pregnancy and the effects on the kids. They found that the kids born to mothers who achieved only six hours or shorter of sleep duration during pregnancy had higher BMIs and waist circumference, including a 40% higher likelihood of being obese by age 11 and 60% higher likelihood of having high blood pressure by age 11. A 2017 study of 900 soon-to-be mothers in their second trimester found that even after accounting for gestational blood pressure, preeclampsia, age, and body mass index, that achieving fewer than seven hours of sleep a night was associated with two and a half times the likelihood of developing gestational diabetes compared to pregnant women achieving at least seven hours of sleep. Experiencing poor sleep during pregnancy is associated with increased risk for preterm birth, gestational diabetes, neonates that are small for gestational age, and a higher likelihood of cesarean section. Poor sleep quality and insufficient sleep duration during pregnancy are associated with increased likelihood of postpartum weight retention. A 2017 study demonstrated that insomnia symptoms in the third trimester were associated with a nearly fourfold increased risk for postpartum depression. Women with six or fewer hours of sleep duration in the third trimester suffered a 3.3-fold increased risk for postpartum depression. Thankfully, it's not all doom and gloom. A 2020 pilot study in New Zealand recruited women in their first pregnancy. Some were randomized to receive a series of three sleep education classes, specific to each trimester, designed to increase sleep knowledge and improve sleep practices. The companion group received no such classes, just treatment as usual, and were followed for comparison. The women who had just three short classes on sleep health during pregnancy had fewer depressive symptoms overall. None met clinically significant criteria for depressive disorder compared to 21% in the comparison group who developed major depression over the same period. And the women who were in the three classes also experienced better sleep quality, easier sleep initiation, and better sleep consolidation throughout the third trimester compared to the women who weren't enrolled in the sleep education classes. A separate 2020 study looked at using an app-based form of the same sleep tips we've discussed throughout all these episodes of the podcast, collectively known as Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Insomnia. Using six weekly sessions of under 20 minutes each, pregnant women randomized to use the app were compared to a matched group of pregnant women with sleep difficulty who were treated with a wide range of interventions, including antidepressants, herbal supplements, counseling, and support groups. They found that the pregnant women randomized to the six weekly classes on effective insomnia treatment in this app experienced significantly greater improvements in insomnia severity, as well as significantly improved sleep efficiency, sleep quality, depression symptoms, and anxiety symptoms. That's right. Using the same principles we've been discussing now for the last 40 weeks, compressed into just six short weekly sessions, pregnant women with insomnia were able to achieve greater improvement in insomnia severity, more effective use of their time in bed by improved sleep efficiency, experienced better sleep quality, and as a bonus for getting better sleep, also significantly lower symptoms of depression and anxiety. That's compared to pregnant women who were taking antidepressants. The postpartum period is no picnic either. We've already seen that experiencing poor sleep during pregnancy, regardless of sleep quality postpartum, is associated with greater difficulty losing that baby weight. Babies waking across the night to feed can wreak havoc on sleep, whether you're nursing or bottle feeding. 
And with babies not expected to start sleeping through the night till an average of four months or so, that's a long time to experience interruption. But postpartum sleep disturbances unrelated to baby feeding is associated with the development of postpartum depression and anxiety. One 2018 randomized controlled trial tried to tackle this very issue. 140 brand new moms were randomized to a control group versus an exercise intervention. Specifically, they were provided a DVD instructional video and asked to do the 15-minute workout three times a week for 12 weeks. After even just four weeks, the postpartum women randomized to the aerobics program experienced significant improvements in fatigue and less perceived stress, which lasted for the duration of the three-month study. In addition to improvements in stress and fatigue, the new moms getting exercise just 45 minutes a week had significantly improved sleep efficiency and sleep quality compared to the control group of usual postpartum care. One study even showed that a single night of adequate sleep duration in the early days of frequent night feedings, just one night of adequate sleep, despite the interruptions to feed baby, was enough to significantly improve the relationship between two new parents. Mom and dad, both struggling through these early days of not knowing what to do with that brand new bundle of joy that stole their peace overnight. Just a single night of getting enough sleep, despite the wakes, was enough to restore and reinforce their relationship. What a magical glue better sleep can be. So to summarize, women and mothers in particular are certainly not immune from difficulties with sleep. Quite the opposite. Sleep health significantly affects sexual health and function, including fertility and successfully carrying a baby to term. Rates of insomnia and restless legs are significantly higher among women, especially during pregnancy. And when those struggles get the best of them, including insufficient sleep duration and sleep disorder breathing, complications increase as well. Thankfully, moms and babies are helped significantly by a little intervention in her sleep. Treating sleep disorder breathing significantly reduces birth complications like prematurity and unplanned C-sections. Just three short classes on sleep health significantly reduce depression and significantly improve sleep quality and consolidation during pregnancy. A brief six-week version of what we've been covering here over the last 40 weeks has been shown to significantly reduce pregnancy-related insomnia, sleep efficiency, sleep quality, as well as improve depressive and anxiety symptoms. Just 15 minutes of aerobic exercise three times a week for brand new moms significantly improves stress, fatigue, sleep quality, and sleep efficiency. There is nothing easy about being a woman or a mother. And one 365th is not enough recognition and validation for their journey. But the least we can do is support our women and mothers, including by supporting their sleep. So happy Mother's Day to my dear wife, to mom, Marie, Michelle, my favorite sister, and to all the mothers around the world. May you have the sweetest dreams.